Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to Concord Matters, uh, the show on KFUO Radio, where we just go through the book of Concord, confessing the faith, explaining it for those to listen and hear and then believe it, and of course confess it before the world that's all around them as well. I'm this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, coming to you from the beautiful High Plains, where we're having wonderful sunny weather this week. Uh, we are uh, celebrating, actually, today as a church, commemoration of the Augsburg Confession. Uh, that uh, This is the date in which, uh, in 1530, the presentation of the Augsburg Confession was made. Uh, that is the uh, pure confession of the truth of scriptures that was made before the emperor on behalf of the, Germ- the German princes, on behalf of their uh, dukedoms, on behalf of all their lands, their pastors, their so forth, their people, their Christians. So we are uh, blessed to celebrate this, commemorate this, and be part of it by having this handed down to us, this great treasure known as this, the, the truth of scriptures, especially as we have in the Augsburg Confession. That said, we'll be in the small call articles today. I have two guests with me today, uh, Pastor Andy Wright out of St. John Lutheran Church in Keystone, Iowa. Uh, Pastor Wright, are you with me? I am. Good to be here. All right. Excellent. And then Pastor Andrew Preuss. Uh, Pastor at St. Paul in McGregor, Iowa, and Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa. Pastor Price, are you with me? Yeah, I'm here. All right, excellent. So we are going to get ready to get going into it. Uh, last week's show left off at paragraph 15, so we're in, in small call to articles, part three, article three, and we're going to pick up with paragraph 16. So we're in this section called the false repentance of the papists, um, which is a good a good section in which we've confessed the truth of what repentance truly is from Scripture. And now we're going to discuss all of the, the, the wickeds and the evils that are allowed uh, under the Roman Catholic penitential system um, that uh, the Lutherans had to deal with. And, of course, Dr. Luther here, as he's explaining it, will not only in, in, explain it theologically, but also he, he's speaking from personal experience on this as well, So, which will be very good. All right, so we have false repentance of the papists. Uh, Pastor Price, what's what's this word papist? The word papist? Yeah. Well, it's named, it's named after the, the papacy. So the papacy is the office of the pope who claims to be the vicar of Christ on earth and okay. claims to be the head of the church on earth. All right, so is, it, so is it kind of a pap- slur or not? You know, I guess I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, I always just call them papists um, because that's what the confessions call them. But yeah, probably a bit. Yeah, I mean, the the I, I haven't done as much uh, in-depth reading on the history of the use of that word, but it, it makes sense that it would be. I do know that the the Roman Catholics would insult us by calling us Lutherans rather than evangelical or Catholic or you know Christian. Um, and then we just kind of 
accepted the word Lutheran because it means the true biblical confession, just like we might call ourselves Nicene or Athanasian or or apostolic. Um, so the papists are those who adhere to the false power claimed by the Pope, the bishop at Rome. Excellent. So, so I, well, yeah, there that's you go. That's good. Pastor Wright, anything you want to add to that? Anything you've ever studied as far as the history of that, uh, that phrase, papist? You know, that's a good question. Um, no, I, I, like Pastor Preuss, have not um, studied that term too much in depth, but it's one of those things. I mean, it's the language of our confession, and sometimes we have kind of a an almost a knee-jerk or hyper-reactive sense to want to say, oh, well, that might be you know, an offensive term. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's what what we use as to refer to those things, but it would be an interesting study to see kind of how that term came about, even like what, you know, what Pastor Preuss alluded to, that term Lutheran was meant to be kind of a, you know, a derogatory or pejorative term, but and um, it, it's sad even when Lutherans themselves want to shy away from that now, but it's something that we, we use it as our, our confession and our um, by which we identify ourselves, you know, especially on this day, too, when we think of the Church of the Augsburg Confession, you know, on, on June 25th, those kind of things. But, yeah, it's a good, good question to think about where that term comes from. Well, I know, I know the term Luther. You know, everyone says that that's, of course, from Luther himself. But, but if you remember, uh, Luther originally is not Luther; it's it's Luder. And, and the, the story behind that is actually that Luther, when reading John chapter eight, which is, of course, the lesson that comes up on Reformation Day for the Gospel lesson, uh, Luther uh, discovers the Greek word for freedom. Uh, oh. You know, the the, 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 the truth mm-hmm. will set you free, Eleutheros. You know that that. That's where the the double D or double T turns into a TH for Luther, and and you know yeah. guys back then changed their names around and so forth. So you know, uh, Lutheran not necessarily a bad word, especially when you consider the fact that it's talking about the freedom we have in the gospel and the freedom that, that the truth of God comes to and brings us. Of course, behind all this, Pastor, right? You're, you're seeing exactly what our society is, is which is we're so afraid of man um, and offending man. But, but of course, the other side of that coin is that we are less and less afraid of offending God all the time. And, yeah, and of course, very true. Uh, the opposite should be the fact that, that, you know, certainly we don't want to go out of our way to offend men, but in the same respect, if it means confessing the faith, uh, we, we certainly don't want to offend God. And so, uh, yeah, we just want to stick to it. And this is the language of our confessions, which is a good language. Uh, it's our churchly language. It's it's a, our vocabulary that we should have as as people of the church, and that's a good thing. All right, let's go into paragraph sixteen here. Uh, we are we are kind of covering through the enumeration of sins. That is the idea that in Roman Catholic penance you have to you have to confess every sin. You have to enumerate them. You have to you know don't forget any. You know come in with a list and make sure you get everything covered and so forth. And and of course this is going to bring all kinds of errors and problems and and horrible things to people's consciences. So let's look at paragraph 16. Furthermore, since no one can know how great the contrition ought to be in order to be enough before God, they gave this consolation. He who could not have contrition at least ought to have attrition. I call that a a half a contrition, or the beginning of contrition. The fact is, they themselves do not understand either of these terms any more than I do. But such attrition was counted as contrition when a person went to confession. All right, so for those listening on, these these are some very technical theological words. 
um, that that are used in Roman Catholic theology to kind of uh, make some distinctions, but not really. And of course, as, as it says here, you know, creates a lot of conf- uh, confusion. Uh, reminder that God is not the author of confusion here. Um, Pastor Preuss, what's contrition? What's attrition? So contrition is is being sorry for your sins, and which includes uh, a, a love for God and a and a trust in His mercy. And so you're sorry not simply because you got caught and that you're afraid of being punished, but you are sorry, truly sorrowful over your sinful condition and over the offense that it brought God because you love God and you trust in Him. Attrition is that you're just sorry that you got caught or you're afraid. You're sorry out of the fear of punishment. And so that's the, you know, the I suppose you could say, in short, Contrition is repentance with faith, and attrition is repentance without faith. That's a good distinction. Pastor Pastor Wright, how does this fit into the Roman Catholic versus Lutheran system of repentance? Um, this idea, this distinction of contrition, what are they getting at when they say, uh, whether how great your con- contrition is? I mean, is there is there a genuineness, a sincerity that's required that, that somehow the Roman Catholics have a way to measure? Yeah, um, I, I think a, a lot of this goes back to kind of like the, this whole article, you know, that it's been looking at when you see issues relating to repentance go to the very nature of sin, you know, uh, understanding that concupiscence itself is sin, you know, understanding that uh, man is, is bound in his sin and, and he's, it's not just some, you know, act of his will, you know, these kind of things like that. So when you start trying to make these delineations that God has not, spoken of, and you try to replace contrition even into the hands of a man, you know, to work these things as opposed to being um, the work of God's God's law, God, God's word doing this, then you start um, opening up a, this huge can of worms then. And Luther will get to that later then, too. Uh, finally, then, if this is, you know, you're trying to um, make attrition something of almost, uh, well, as long as I'm going to confession, even though there's not a real fear of God there or these kind of things like that, then I'm okay. Um, you're never going to have any real consolation of the gospel at the end of the day, too, you know, of these kind of things like that. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it goes hand in hand with this understanding of, of, of sin, understanding of, you know, how is repentance really worked? You know, is it, is it a work of that when we, we see, we place it in, you know, the preaching of God's word, you know, doing these things, accomplishing these things, and, and working a real thing? Or um, is it just something where, you know, I'm just going to now, you know, enumerate so many sins so as to, you know, check that off and, and try to justify myself before God? So that's that's very good. Pastor Preuss, does this tie in then to, like, when, when somebody does something to hurt someone else, they have quote-unquote good intentions, um, is this is this similar to that when when somebody was like, well, you know, I I, I didn't mean to to hurt anyone by it. I, I had good intentions. Is that this kind of false comfort versus the comfort of, you know, actually confessing your sin and actually hearing an absolution? Yeah. So this is the kind of comfort here that they're giving is one that directs them within themselves, and it's it's like they're 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 trying to they're really doing what natural man does. This is just what human nature does, and this is what I always tell my, uh, my my Bible class when we go through the confession is uh, 
is that in order to understand the Roman Catholic position on, especially, you know, sin and confession and uh, justification, you need to just think like an unbeliever for a second. And just, uh, and just, and, and, and the way that an unbeliever naturally thinks, and we know this ourselves too, because we still have our unbelieving sinful flesh that needs to be crucified every day. The way that it thinks is it always needs to micromanage everything, um, or sorry, manufacture, I should say, everything, and just kind of uh, try to try to materialize it according to its own reason, and so it inevitably becomes uh, it becomes a turning in on itself and defining contrition, repentance, according to its own feelings and ex- and experiences and. And, and understanding rather than simply according to the Word of God, which says turn, right? The turning of your mind, the turning of your heart, and, uh, and turning to the Lord. And, and you know, this, this might, this will be, of course, this is going to be experienced, um, and it can't be divorced from experience, but we don't define it according to how we experience it. Um, because if we do that, then we're going to start making, we're going to think that, that it's comforting to kind of lower the bar, that's the, because you're because you're going to be working according to the law because naturally you are trying to fulfill the law by your own by your own maneuvering and your own definitions and so 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 then you're going to think that what's comforting is sort of uh, laxing the the law a little bit lowering the bar but that's not comfort that's just that might be comforting in a civil kind of righteousness in a civil sense. But it's certainly not the kind of comfort that our soul needs. The comfort that our soul needs is that Christ has actually fulfilled the law fully for us, and that this free forgiveness of sins is given to us in the gospel. Um, and that's and 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 so this is this is what happens then when you when you when you deal with things uh, under the law and under the, the 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 kind of bondage of human reason, rather than according to the revealed will of God. Yeah, so, I mean, this is just going right back into the difference between Roman Catholic theology and Lutheran theology. Uh, Lutheran theology always runs back to the scriptures. Roman Catholic theology takes some scripture, but also some reason, some rationale, uh, obviously traditions and so forth as well as authoritative. And, and so, also, too, yeah. Pastor, uh, share um, kind of what Pastor Preuss is getting at there, too. It's kind of a, a divine irony, so to speak, too, when you when you kind of start doing and thinking of those ways and you try to bring this into then the theological realm. Luther himself says in that paragraph 16, you know, at the end of that, the fact is they themselves do not understand either of these terms any more than I do. You know, but attrition was counted as contrition when the person went to confession. So it's kind of like, you know, God's, God's word is clear. There's a, a clarity in scriptures. And when we learn of what contrition truly is, and we learn about repentance, you know, as contrition and faith. Um, I mean, there is great comfort in that, and it's very clear. But when you're trying to nuance all these things, I mean, this this disorder and confusion that you, it's like, do you, at the end of the day, do you even really know even what attrition is or contrition is? You know, it's just this, it's kind of this, um, we have a way of, our old sinful ma- uh, man has a way of just messing everything up that really is so clear. And, that, and that's, so that's a wonderful that reminder. Yeah, what's what's important? What's important about that then uh, is, is that we're not simply bashing on the Roman Catholics as the papalist party, but we're recognizing that this is an error that is natural. It's it's within our own sinful nature, and we easily can turn our practice 
I mean, where this this kind of sophistry of these vain distinctions, where does it happen? Why does it happen? It happens because we don't want to face the law for what it is. And so in our practice, we want to kind of be lax and not, you know, kind of do do enough so that we can feel like we're being orthodox and and faithful, but not so much that we're going to actually have to truly call people to repentance, because that's just too difficult, and then we'll have to bear the cross and all that kind of stuff. So you can kind of see how... And, and it, Go ahead. Yeah. And I, th- I, I think that's exactly what comes out in practice, usually, is, is we end up with some kind of statement of the unclarity of scripture you know well you know male and female issues you know ah there's some you know there's some gray area there when in fact the scriptures are very clear exactly Um, like cohabitation uh, right marriage divorce cohabitation yeah all that stuff is is clear in scripture but Mm -hmm. but we always want to kind of crafted a little as you said earlier lower the bar i mean whereas christ himself said that that nothing of the law can be relaxed you know he Mm -hmm. fulfills it but it isn't relaxed um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good thing. Uh, let's go on to paragraph 17. If anyone said that he could not have contrition or lament his sins, as might be the case with illicit love or the desire for revenge, etc., they asked whether he wished or desired to have contrition. When one would reply, yes, for who, save the devil himself, would say no, they accepted this as contrition. They forgave him his sins on account of this good work of his. Here they cite the example of St. Bernard and others. Uh, I just a comment right off the bat. Later it'll point out how faithless and Christless all of this is. And of course here it's, you know, you can't even muster up contrition, maybe not even attrition. Would you at least want to be contrite about this? You know, and then, and then we'll accept that. It's exactly, and, and, it, and the laughter is fitting because it's, this is exactly what we are just talking about. Well, this is when mankind so does theology. If, if, if I may, Pastor Shears, this is what is so funny about it. The reason why I'm laughing is because it is just so typical of human nature. And Lutherans don't think that because you have your, your dot, you, you crossing your, 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 uh, your, your T's and dotting your I's correctly, that you can avoid this. Because, again, this comes about simply because people are afraid of confessing God's word correctly. And so I'll just give you an example of how this can, how Lutherans can fall into this. When I was in college, I read this, I read a, an article from a magazine that was a Lutheran, it was kind of a youth, Lutheran youth magazine. I won't say which one, but, uh, but it was, it was kind of giving a, I read this article where it was a conversation between a pastor and his, and, and, and his parishioner. And his, it was like a teenage boy who he, he had been picked on by these kids. And uh, the, the pastor, he tells his pastor, I'm having a hard time forgiving them. I just can't forgive them. And so the pastor says, well, that's, you know, that basically, that's all right, because there's this thing called objective justification, which says that Jesus already has forgiven everyone. And it was just like, it was like Jesus already, like Jesus forgives them for you. I mean, there's a grain of truth to that, obviously, that we don't find our forgiveness in ourselves, but in Christ. And I think that perhaps that's what the author was trying to get at. But really what it turned into was kind of this like, oh, well, you you don't have to forgive them. You just got to like kind of maybe want to want to be able to forgive them. But if you can't, you know, if, if you're not actually forgiving them right now, that's okay. You know, let's, it's, it's, it's enough that you want to want to forgive them. You know, that's kind of, 
I mean, this was 11 years ago when I read this. So it, right. But but I remember oh, reading it's, it. It's a common sentiment. Is, yeah, it's, it's, and it's sophistry, right? It's just the typical thing that we end up, our old man leads us to. So a lot of these things started off probably with good pastoral care, with behind good theology, but because of laziness and just people being too smart for their own good, we ended up with these ridiculous distinctions. Yeah. Yeah, that's never good. Yeah. Never yeah, good. And you see this too as a pastor. I mean, both as a pastor and as a father too. I mean, you're, you you confront your kids and say, you know, I have four daughters, and and you know, one will do something against another, and you know, it's like, are you sorry? Well, do you wish you were sorry? You know, these kind of things like that. Um, but also too, I mean, kind of what Pastor Proy's building off that same thing. You know, you deal with couples maybe who are living together, and they'll just say, well, you know, so that we think we can, you know, marry us, and then we'll separate. You know, so long as, you know, because we, we, we think that if we just go through these motions, then somehow then that will be okay, and it will show that we're repentant. It show that we're contrite, you know, but it's that, you know, that great analogy, like Pastor Preuss brought up, lowering the bar or trying to, you know, set the law in, in a way that it doesn't condemn us, but rather that it is achievable or that we can find a loophole or a hedge that we can jump over. Yeah, so let's hear it from uh, the Confessions. This is explaining just what we were just talking about, paragraph 18. Here one sees how blind reason gropes around in matters belonging to God. According to its own imagination, reason seeks consolation in its own works and cannot remember Christ and faith. Viewed in the light, this contrition is a manufactured and fictitious thought. It comes from our own powers, without faith and without the knowledge of Christ. When, when he reflected on his own lust and desire for revenge, the poor sinner might have laughed rather than wept, unless he had either been truly stuck, struck by the lightning of the law or had been tormented by the devil with a sorrowful spirit. Otherwise, this kind of contrition was certainly mere hypocrisy and did not put to death the lust for sins. They had to be contrite, but if they were free, they would rather have kept on sinning. Okay, Pastor Preuss, you want to give a comment on this? Yeah, you know, when I when I was uh, a younger theologian than I am now, um, I suppose I still am kind of young. Um, but, but when I was younger, I always liked the Apology and the Oxford Confession a little bit better because of the precision and just the you know Melanchthon's just an amazing organizer, right? And, and uh, but boy, the more the longer I'm a pastor, the more I just love the small clericals. And this 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 passage, I mean, this paragraph right here really shows how Luther just understands. He really shows that he understands how the enemy of of the the unregenerate human reason works. That reason wants to take comfort in its own works, and that's so true. And so, what he's getting at here, Luther is on it with with one blow. He is going after both both uh a, a kind of carnal security um of uh kind of lowering like lowering the bar of the, of the law kind of a licentiousness if you will and on the uh, and 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 that same blow he's he's attacking works righteousness and he's showing how they're both cut from the same cloth you know that w- w- whether we call antinomianism or licentiousness and legalism and self-righteousness they're it's it's both the same thing because ultimately they're with, with what you're doing is you are taking comfort and taking refuge in your own works and in your own ability to kind of you know figure out 
how to get around it. Um, and and so Luther is just, he's really being uh, a, a pastor here, one who, and a, you know, one who is is blunt and clear at the same time. And it's just, he has, you can tell that he's, that he has studied these scholastic theologian and theologians, and he's just weary with it. He's just, he's not, he's, he, he's done with these guys. You know, he, he thinks he's going to die. He has kidney stones, you know, and he's... <laughs> Pastor Preuss is, yeah. is speak, speaking a little bit about the history of the Small Cold Articles, how it comes about, how Luther thinks he's at the end of his life. Um, we have just a few few seconds here before we cut to a break, and we'll pick this up at the end at, after the break. I want to have a little discussion about how why they zero in on faith and then Christ here, and and of course why Lutherans would zero in on that being lacking. And so we'll pick that up after the break. Um, you're listening to Concord Matters here on KFU AM Radio, the Messenger of Good News, and we're going through the small color articles talking about the false repentance of the Papists. So come on back after the break. Proverbs 27:17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their metal against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. I'm listening to you on my Kindle here in Great Falls, Virginia. I just want to thank you so much for the beautiful music, and I'm so thankful for you. God bless you and keep you in your good work. Thanks again. Bye-bye. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. The Augsburg Confession, presented to the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V at the Diet of Augsburg on June 25, 1530, became one of the most pivotal documents of the Protestant Reformation. Written by Luther's colleague, German reformer Philip Melanchthon, the Confession clearly articulated Lutheran theological convictions, a document intended to restore political and religious unity in the free territories of Germany. 
it became the primary confession of faith for the Lutheran Church. Melanchthon used biblical references throughout each of the 28 articles of confession, including Romans chapters 3 and 4 in the article outlining Luther's argument for justification by faith. That men cannot be justified before God by their own strength, merits, or works, but are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith. Engage with the Bible in the history of its impact over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters. I'm your host this week, Pastor Joshua Shear. I'm, I'm joined with two guests, Pastor Andrew Preuss of St. Paul Lutheran and Trinity Lutheran of McGregor and Gutenberg, Iowa, and also uh, Pastor Andy Wright of St. John's Lutheran in Keystone, Iowa. I didn't realize it when we first started this, but I think I got uh, two guys on the phone with advanced degrees in systematic theology, so that's why we've covered three paragraphs so far in the first half hour, which is, which is great. Uh, but but in in the in the real true sense of uh, Lutheran theologians, notice how pastoral these guys have been in in their in their teaching of the faith. Um, that goes that goes back to Luther himself, uh, who was a great wonderful theologian, and yet incredibly pastoral. And and pastoral is not meant to mean weak, but it's meant to mean you know applying the the scriptures, the teachings of God, to these people these sinners in need of, of this teaching and instruction and so forth. So uh, we are in small called part three, article three, and we left off in paragraph 18. We were just going to discuss a little bit. Pastor Wright, I'll ask you, it, it, it makes, a, makes a real distinction here. It says, it's, it's pointed back to our own powers without faith and without knowledge of Christ. Why, why are the Lutheran confessions, why is Luther here, Going back to in, in the in the article of repentance, why is he going back to faith in Christ? Yeah, that's a, a great question and a, and a great point. All of this uh, comes back at the end to end of the day. That's rooted, and this is kind of where this pastoral nature of Luther comes through too. He's understanding the consolation of the conscience is found only in Christ, and the righteousness of faith is something that that is only uh, the righteousness that avails before God. So when you are rooting everything back in your own powers and uh, your bl the blind reason, as Luther says, you know, um, in your own works or or in your own, um, you know, whatever the case may be, um, where is the place for Christ in that? There really is no place for Christ. Um, but if it, it's rooted then um, that if you see the, the terror of your sin and the j true judgment that you have before God on account of your sin, and you see that you have one who has made payment for that sin, one who has satisfied God's wrath and made atonement for that. Then you have, you know, this this true um, this true life, this true consolation, you know, that um, with that. Um, but uh, and that's where you know this faith comes in and these promises. You know, it's both law and gospel when it comes to repentance. When we see these things, so I mean, it, it kind of gets to the very heart of the Reformation, gets to the heart of the gospel itself when he's talking about this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Pastor Preuss, do you want to add something to that? I know uh, I know you've studied out the atonement and so forth quite a bit. Uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, no, I, I, I can't put it any better than how, how uh, Pastor Wright put it. You know, if you're awesome. not... If, yeah, so just go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... Um, 
so it talks here about uh, the, the the hypocrisy of all of this, the the you know the feeling sorry for sins and so forth, but yet it's a uh, uh, didn't work to put to death the lust for sins and so forth. Um, let's move on to paragraph nineteen, where we continue this kind of idea of enumeration, and here we have kind of a brief summary of the, the Roman Catholic penitential system. As for confession, the procedure was this. Everyone had to list all his sins, which is impossible. This was a great torment. If anyone had forgotten some sins, he would be absolved on the condition that, if they would occur to him, he must still confess them. So he could never know whether he had made a sufficiently pure confession or if confessing would ever come to an end. Yet he was pointed to his own works. He was comforted like this. The more fully you confess, and the more you humiliate yourself and debase yourself before the priest, the sooner and better you render satisfaction for your sins. Such humility would certainly earn grace before God. Um, so here you have Luther's description of the process of confession. Pastor Preuss, uh, just what kind of great evils are in this? I mean, this, this well, Luther torment noticed and, and, that notice that the way that Luther is addressing this whole issue is he's talking about the consolation, the comfort, right? And, and the difference between where they find their comfort and where the, the true biblical view of confession uh, directs people to their comfort. And so what is so wicked about this is that the comfort is in what you're doing rather than in what Christ has done for you. And, and what, so the, how do they get to this? Well, one of the ways that they get to this is by, is, is, is by understanding sin not as that lack of fear, love, and trust in God, which is in us by nature, that is, uh, that has corrupted our nature and our, and our very inclinations, um, and, and, and thoughts in every way, but rather, uh, act just merely the the various actual sins that you commit in thought, word, and deed, and 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 for that reason, then they say, okay, well, you got to take care of each individual sin, so the, and and that's why you got to number all of them uh, when you confess. And then if you forget some, well, you can just mention them later. And if you still forget some, as long as they weren't too bad of sins, then you just go to purgatory, right? And then you burn them off there. Um, and so this, but. This is because they have a very low view of sin, and we have a very, uh, uh, I don't know if low and high view is really, or they have a, they have a shallow view of sin, I should say, where we, we confess a, a, a deep view of sin, that man is deeply corrupted in every faculty. Um, and this is why it does no good to direct uh, a penitent sinner to himself at all for his comfort. And so notice then the way that Luther is dealing with this issue is what is confession and what is the comfort for the one confessing? And if confession uh, is about what, uh, if confession is not um, a pleading guilty of all sins before God and only those that you can know and feel in your heart before the confessor, uh, before the one hearing your confession, um, but if, if, if but if it's some kind of lesser thing that well you know do what you can and it's all really about what you think you can figure out how to confess or what sins to number, well then you're never going to get out of the law. You're never going to get out of your 
striving in the law. But if you understand confession as simply pleading guilty before the law, well, then you don't find your comfort in the law. You don't find your comfort in your works and in how much you're afflicting yourself. You find your comfort in Christ, who was afflicted for our transgressions as he fulfilled the law for us. Hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, and I, I, if I could add something there, too, with that, and, there, and there's kind of where you find the true humility, isn't it? You know, that he Luther brings up that, that word of, you know, humiliate yourself and debase yourself before the priest, the sooner the better, and such humility would certainly earn grace before God. But the humility of confessing your sin, of, you know, pleading that, you know, there is no good in me, but my righteousness is found in Christ. You know, I mean, the one who did humble himself, you know, even to the point of death on a cross. And, uh, yeah, just great stuff of Luther here. Yeah, you can almost sense the, the, the personal nature of it as well for him um, behind yeah. all of this. Yeah, yeah, all right, let's look at paragraph 20. Here, too, there was neither faith nor Christ. The power of the absolution was not declared to him. Rather, his consolation depended upon his listing of sins and his self-abasement. What torture, fraud, and idolatry this kind of confession has produced is more than can be said. All right, so we've already addressed this idea of lacking faith and lacking Christ, how, how this is entirely pointing the person back in on themselves, their own works, their own intentions, their own desires, uh, all the various things that they would try to seek to comfort themselves with, which of course are all going to come up short uh, when when an honest evaluation happens, uh, as God is is ought to do in the law to show us honestly what's happening. Um, but notice the power of absolution was not declared to him; rather, his consolation depended upon his own works. Pastor Preuss, uh or actually Pastor Wright, <clears throat> um, what? He calls this torture, fraud, and idolatry. Now, torture, we understand, you know, the, the torment of having to kind of come up with all your sins and so forth. Fraud, that this is, you know, this is fraudulent. It's, it's done, of course, in, in the Roman Catholic system, it's done to kind of encourage the whole, you know, giving and, and good works, adding up enough to, to kind of offset your sins, things like that. But explain the, explain the idolatry the idolatry yeah, this it, kind of confession has produced. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, I think we can understand it kind of in a multifaceted way, but one way especially is that, um, you know, you think back to the first commandment um, in the large catechism when Luther talks about uh, what it means to have a God, you know, and here to find consolation then in your own listing of sins or self-abasement or whatever the case may be, who really then is your consolation in? Well, it's in yourself, it's in you know, any number of different things, well, there's your false god. There's your, there's your idol that you have built in your own mind, in your own heart, in your own conscience, whatever the case may be, and that is what you're trying to find then, your assurance, your consolation, your peace before before the throne of God, and that, that itself is idolatrous. I mean, you know, one of the things that one of our professors um, at seminary told us one time, uh, you know, when you're, when you're talking to somebody as a pastor, and um, one of the things to kind of diagnose things, kind of this idea of a pastor, a seal sorger, or, you know, a carer, or curate of souls, almost like a physician of the soul, you know, you have to, what's the, what's the root cause? What, what is their God? What is their idol that they've set up in themselves? And when we think about this, you know, idea of confession, then it's so easy for us, you know, or contrition, repentance, and it's so easy for us, you know, to have this legalistic mindset or, 
any number of things that that wants to to build that god of you know god of the self and and bow down before it and find you know hey you know i hey i I can walk away from this knowing that i i did list all those sins that maybe are the big ones and the little ones you know aren't so bad or you know i'm i'm going to be okay i can pull myself up by my bootstraps as opposed to saying you know what my only consolation coming from this is is found in christ the one true god excellent yeah what idolatry this has produced and as we've said numerous times already during this program, uh, this is this is not just a, a papist problem. This is this is a human nature, sinful nature problem, uh, to kind of come up with these kind of solutions to the problem of sin, to the uh, to the what sin has wrought. All right, so there we've covered a, a number of things about the enumeration and the lack of consolation and so forth that comes from this. All the strange kind of distinctions between contrition, attrition, all the, you know, well, do you at least desire to be sorry for your sins? You know, that kind of weird philosophical, how blind reason gropes around in matters belonging to God. Now we move on to the next part of the Roman Catholic penitential system, which which is, as Luther says, is, is more complex. And, and we'll cover that. Here I want to cover uh, paragraph 21, and then we'll read 22 and 23 after a little bit of conversation. Um, Luther says this, he says, As for satisfaction, this is by far the most complex part of all. For no one can know how much to render for a single sin, let alone how much for all. They resorted to the device of imposing a small satisfaction, which could indeed be rendered as five our fathers, a day's fast, or such. Then for the rest of their repentance they were directed to purgatory. Now, Pastor Preuss, I believe you mentioned purgatory a little earlier, so why don't you start us out describing some of this part of satisfaction. Yeah, so what you have in this uh, this sophistry or scholasticism of the Roman Catholic theologians was uh, a distinction came in that was uh, maybe began as a helpful distinction, um, but uh, but then was easily, very quickly corrupted. And it's this distinction between... Sin or guilt and punishment, the guilt of sin and the punishment of sin. And it's useful in this sense that there is an outward punishment that you simply have to do for the sake of discipline, right? So if I rob a bank um, and I go to the, the pastor and confess and I'm truly sorry and I take comfort in the forgiveness of sins and the absolution, my sins are absolved, right? Um, but I still got to go to jail. I still need to learn my lesson. Like, you, we see this with, we all have children, right? We got to do this with our kids. We, we forgive them when they sin, but we still, we still, you know, maybe send them to the room for a while um, or, or, or apply some sort of punishment, right? So this became, this, this then became kind of systematized into the work of Christ, where they would say that Jesus' death took away, made satisfaction for the guilt of sin, so that when you're baptized, your your original guilt is taken away, but that he did not make satisfaction for the punishment of sin. And then they would say that in order to fully enjoy the remission of the guilt of sin, you need to have the re, uh, the full remission of punishment. And in order to get the full remission of punishment, you need to uh, do these kind of acts of penance. And they might be as small as, as he said, say, say, a number of our fathers, or maybe it is going and uh, afflicting yourself or doing other sorts of, uh, of good works. And so what Luther is doing here is he's just he's bringing Christ in 
as the one who makes full satisfaction for sin, period. And, 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 uh, and while we might apply discipline, outward discipline in our lives, and that might be necessary to show fruits, to teach us to have fruits of repentance, those things are not contributing toward the satisfaction that Christ has fully won for us. And this is why faith in the promise and the work of Christ, on the one hand, the faith in the promise and, and on the one hand, and the work of Christ, on the other hand, go, go together. You can't conceive of faith apart from the promise that delivers to you the full remission of sins in Christ, who made full satisfaction for sin. And so, like, Luther actually addressed this in, back in the 1518 um, in, a, in a, uh, uh, a number of theses that I, I translated, actually, uh, within the last couple of years, but I haven't really shared them with many people, and I've been meaning to kind of send those somewhere. But anyway, it's, they're very interesting uh, theses where Luther is really getting at and attacking this distinction between the remission of guilt and the remission of punishment. And Luther goes so far as saying that we, that it's actually better for our salvation if we don't have the remission of punishment. That is, if we continue to be punished here on earth, and, and uh, that's actually better for our salvation because it teaches us to take comfort in the remission of guilt, that is, the remission of all sin that has been won for us by Christ and given to us in promise. Wow. That's an interesting thought. Pastor Wright, you want to add anything to this? Um, I don't think I could say it better. <laughs> it's, I, I think the... Yeah, he's, he's spot on with that. Uh, I think one thing, though, maybe that sometimes it's kind of a, a little bit off from this, but, you know, we we sometimes want to forget, though, that there are fruits of repentance. That's not a satisfaction. But, you know, I mean, John the Baptist in Matthew 3 and Luke 3, you know, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So these things do come from repentance, you know, that you maybe not say, you know, three are fathers or whatever the case may be, but there is a new life that the Christian has guided by God's law. Um, but it's, you know, it's not tied to satisfaction. Satisfaction with the guilt and punishment, you know, they, they're seen in the, in the cross of Christ, who is the bearer of sin and makes payment for sin, you know, suffers both, suffers that, so. Well, good, good yeah. works supply the proof that faith is living, right? So they are, yeah. they are exactly that, the fruit of uh, faith, and faith, of course, being the uh, second part of repentance, uh, contrition and faith. Um, and, and this is our confessions back- confess it? If, if I may, just uh, by the way, this gets back to what, what what I was saying earlier about how this is what happens when you base your theology mainly on your on your experience rather than on the Word of God, um, because of course we have these necessary experiences, right? Um, like we ha- we experience repentance, we experience the fruits of repentance, we experience the discipline, and and all these things that that go along with the Christian life that are necessary components in 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 experiencing God's grace, right? That, uh, but we we make a distinction between those things that happen within us and within our lives, and uh, on the one hand, and on the other hand, the actual work of Christ that is declared to us in the righteousness imputed to us by faith. And so this is something the Formula of Concord uh, picks up on in Article 3, where they say we must make a distinction between the things that take place within us um, like like repentance and, and, and things like that, and the actual righteousness that is imputed to us and credited to us. And so it would be the same kind of vein here where, you know, we 
where the satisfaction um, of Christ must be distinguished from the quote-unquote satisfaction that we might render as, you know, if you might use loosely use the word satisfaction to refer simply to, like, well, you're, you're learning your lesson, right? And when you conflate those two and you confuse those two, then you're confusing the work of man um, and the experience of, that, uh, of man um, with the, the work of God in Christ, which he, which he promises to us. Hmm. Back to the idea. You're using law and gospel, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Imagine Definitely. that, right? Let's look at the, the next two paragraphs uh, specifically because they do deal with this kind of satisfaction stuff. Um, here, too, there was nothing but anguish and misery. Some thought they would never get out of purgatory. According to the old church laws, seven years' penance in purgatory is required for a single mortal sin. Yet confidence was placed in our own work of satisfaction. If the satisfaction could be perfect, confidence would be placed in it entirely. Neither faith nor Christ would be necessary, but such confidence was impossible. For even though someone had done penance that way for a hundred years, he would still not know whether he had finished his penance. This meant doing, or that meant doing penance forever and never coming to repentance. Okay. Uh, so here you have the, the fruit of this, of uh, this kind of worldly, philosophical, uh, sophisticated, sophist, you know, sophist type of understanding of theology. Pastor Preuss, uh, you want to give, actually, I think it's Pastor Wright's turn, actually, to start us out. Pastor Wright, do you want to give some comments on these two paragraphs? Um, well, I mean, yeah, uh, he, uh, boy, there's a lot that he talks about in there <laughs> with uh, different things, but... Um, I would say, I mean, it goes to show, too, that kind of just thinking about our confessions as a whole, even, that this is not just some academic exercise, right? But this is, um, you know, in paragraph 23, neither faith nor Christ would be necessary. You know, to understand this, to confess this, and to to rightly teach this as a pastor is to, is to exalt Christ. And... Um, you know, I mean, it's something when when you were just reading this, you know, kind of my mind was just kind of thinking back to an, my my experience in high school. I was the only Lutheran in a fellowship of Christian athletes at a public high school, and I was always constantly told, you know, that I wasn't saved because I never made a decision for Jesus. You know, I just kept clinging to my baptism and, and whatnot, and I was kind of, you know, pretty sometimes. Uh, arrogant about it, you know, being knowing enough to get myself in trouble with things and starting arguments. But, but this idea that um, that I had friends who were constantly questioning, you know, they had no confidence before God. You know, they had no confidence before um, of their justification or, or any of these things. And and uh, you know, it, it's just a it's it's a great consolation to have this this understanding of what it means to have the satisfaction resting on Christ. And, um, you know, and, and also then, too, that we, you know, are not left to be doing penance for, forever and never coming to repentance. Rather, you know, it, it's placed on the one who is the Lamb of God. Yeah, that, that uncertainty is an amazing thing. In fact, it affects good works. I mean, can you, can you imagine trying to do good unto your neighbor if you're constantly worried about whether or not, you know, you yourself are, are right with God? Um, just... Uh, yeah. Uh, what a what a wreck that could happen in the conscience. And I, I've had that experience, too, with, with folks who come from kind of the evangelical circles where it is just the the constant nagging of whether or not they've done enough. And this, of course, 
ties in a lot of, of, of closeness between Roman Catholic theology and even the, the American Protestant theology are very closely tied. Um, they, they really do point back in on man. And then we end up with all these same kind of problems, these uncertainties, this uh, this struggle with, you know, since I'm not focusing so much on Christ and his work, but I'm focusing on me and my work, I'm always coming up short. Pastor Preuss, we only have a couple of minutes. Do you want to add something to this? Yeah, I mean, just the, the carnal security, how closely carnal security skates along right next to despair and torment of conscience. And that this is exactly, you know, on the one hand, it, it, it produces this, this idea that somehow, well, this pride in yourself, but also it is at the same time with that pride, you can never have that certainty and that full consolation in Christ who has made full satisfaction for sin. So, I mean, when you think of the, the doctrine of purgatory, it actually to the sinful flesh, it's kind, it's, it's sort of a comforting, teaching, even though, you know, obviously it's, it's not true comfort, but it's, it's a false comfort. Um, but it, but when you really then, when, when you, when you find your only consolation in Christ, that's terrifying to the sinful flesh because it means that the sinful flesh must die. And it means that it doesn't get to stick around after death. It doesn't get to go to purgatory with you, right? No, it's dead. And that's the, that is the goal in this life is to kill the old Adam every day so that we would rise anew in Christ and so that our true comfort is not in a life to come that's sort of like this life, um, but no, but in a life to come that is perfectly fulfilled for us in Christ and given to us in a, in a salvation ready to be revealed to us in full. That's an excellent way to put it. That's an excellent way to put it. You are just hearing some of the just raw root, matters of the Lutheran faith and, and what the scriptures have given us and of course how the Reformation corrects, brings to repentance uh, you know, the, the Christian church uh, and our theology how far it had gotten off and so forth and how God worked to restore that back to what the scriptures say and of course ultimately it's about what? It's about Christ. It's about Christ and what he's done for you. It's about Christ and, and what kind of consolation and comfort that provides for you uh, rather than pointing you back in on your own works and so forth, uh, reminding you of what Christ has done. And of course, this is this is Lutheran theology. It's about the gospel. Um, we, we don't neglect the law by any means, but we want to properly understand it and properly apply it, uh, And but always keep that wonderful distinction between the law and the gospel together so you don't end up with some strange things like, like you said, the, the carnal security or the despair, which are so common amongst other, other Christian groups. Uh, so this is this is the blessing it is that is um, uh, Lutheran theology, and uh, hopefully uh, from listening to Concord Matters, you've you've learned a little bit more and more each week as we go through it. And I want to thank both of our guests today, Pastor Andrew Preuss and Pastor Andy Wright, uh, for joining us today, and uh, encourage you to uh, keep reading through those confessions, especially today. Take a moment and read through some of the Augsburg Confession or all of it if you can. Uh, great document, great confession of the faith. A wonderful thing about Christ. You've been listening to Concord Matters on KFUO.